Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, before we start, I had the worst week ever. You, gotta, you guys got to hear this. Um, a um, personal trainer friend of mine uh, just got uh, sentenced to 10 years. For uh, selling and dealing cocaine. Oh my god! I've seen this guy for years. I had no idea. Holy oh my shit. gosh! It just goes to show that you never know people really. I mean, I had no idea whatsoever that this guy was a personal trainer. I mean, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I, I was, I was adjusting my hearing aid when you said the. It was like uh, the punchline. I totally missed it. And the punchline was. I had no idea this guy was a personal trainer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh let's see this. Hey there, heathens. I'm John, the Godless Engineer. Hi, I'm Aaron Rod. Hi, this is Andrew Jasko. This is Don Queen from the Godless Heathens Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Hector Garcia. Hi, this is Owen from Rex and Owen and the Skeptical Texans. Hey, I'm Stephen Woodford of Rationality Rules. Hi, I'm Thomas Westbrook of Holy Kool-Aid. Hi, this is Matt Dillahunty. Hi, this is Brent and Nikki from Unapologetics. Hi, I'm Donald Trump, and I took a rip. Wait, which one second? I gotta put my hands up here. Yeah. Just go ahead, Robert. Just go. Hi, I'm Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, and I, I took, a took a left at the, at the valley. valley. And we. Oh, should I say it too? No, sorry. Sure. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist. Returning after a well-deserved mini-vacation, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I just read a book about Stockholm Syndrome. It was pretty bad at first, but by the end, I kind of liked it. (laughs) Joining me as usual is a team whose (laughs) winter fat is gone, but now they have spring rolls. (laughs) She abducted a mime last night, and she did unspeakable acts to him. Nancy. Oh, you hit the camera rolling. <laughs> oh, no. Nancy, what are you going to do? You got caught on camera. And she, Again. <laughs> and she wonders if Storm and Black Panther had kids, would they be Thundercats? <laughs> Kirsten. Ooh. Good question, huh? Yes. I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. <laughs> oh, you guys enjoyed your week off, I hope. We had a pretty good week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We well, did. I have to apologize right away because I'm completely congested and I've got this horrible dry cough. I'm going to try to manage my best and I'm sucking on some sepical lozenges now, so bear with me. 
Anyway, so today we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking to Professor Joel Backen of UBC, and we're going to be talking about corporations. We've been looking forward to that for a long time. Absolutely have. Yeah. But first, let's get to a little chit-chat. Um, did you guys hear that apparently they found 13 fossil bones and teeth in the Philippines that might represent a new unknown human species? Ooh. Yeah. There's a cave in Calo on the island of Luzon. Um, they're thinking of calling the species Homo luzonensis. Uh, they found three specimens, and they, they, this, uh, these specimens were between 50 and 67,000 years old. Uh, apparently, the... This is would be almost a cousin to the what they call the 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 hobbit. Oh, the human species that was short. So it was a short stature human as well. Hmm. Uh, a shorter version of uh, of a human species. My descendants. <laughs> Maybe no, so. I mean I'm the descendant of. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. There we go. <laughs> she almost slipped up there. Yeah. yeah. Almost revealed her true age. Yeah. Um, did you guys hear that uh, the U.S. apparently have uh, decided to revoke the visa? Of a uh, court prosecutor for the International uh, Criminal Court. Oh, of course. Anything that they can do that's absolutely contrary to common oh. sense and good governance, they're going to do. So who is, was there anybody that was surprised? Yeah, well, I was a bit surprised they would go that far. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. was never really uh, never really been a member of the ICC, uh, but the Trump administration apparently is cracking down on a global tribunal. The prosecuting question, uh, her name is uh, Fatou uh, Bensouda, who I will get this right, um, she, uh, she had a pending request to look into possible U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So this is a move from the U.S. to basically block her from being able to investigate that. Yeah, but my understanding is that she'll still be able to come in for meetings yeah. and, and so forth. But the U.S. is not part of that tribunal. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, did you guys hear that Norway, apparently, uh, they've uh, sold so many electric cars in March that the electric cars have actually outsold the gasoline cars for the first time in history. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it actually represented 60% of all car sales in March. Did They must have a better incentive program and charging and, and so forth for the, for them, you know, people to buy. They're yeah. way ahead of us. Yeah, they're oh, way, yeah. way ahead. Like, they probably have charging stations everywhere, so it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, well, why not get it? And the price must be comparable as well. On, on my birthday, I actually went and uh, spoke with a Tesla dealership, <gasps> and they're fancy, nice cars. They and I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, seriously considering one at this point. Oh. Hmm. If I can get out of getting my, my, my big pickup there, because I still owe money on that, and if I can somehow merge it to and all that, I will seriously take a good look into it. Because for the travel I do, which is back and forth from work and in town and a bit in, in, in Vancouver, it's perfect. Percentage-wise, how, how much would a Tesla be? I mean, if you have a regular... Um, automobile that's comparable but just not a Tesla and it was like $20,000 how much more would it would well the, the one the one I'm looking at right now would be about 45000 Um it's got the bigger pa- bigger uh, battery package the bigger battery yeah. package you got the longer distance you can get and this one is uh, with a bigger battery package you can do like a, at least 500 kilometers plus before you have to recharge so would they be twice as expensive as a is a car comparable? Uh, I don't know if you can say yeah. twice as expensive. More expensive, yes. But yeah. it, it depends how you... I mean, right now, for my, my pickup truck, with the price of gasoline <laughs> right now, oh. it's cost me at least $120 a week. 
Yikes. So you talk about $500 a month in fuel, that's a car payment. For those of you who are in the U.S., those of us in Canada, when we go to the pump, we pay for gas by the liter. That's right. And there are four liters in an imperial. Yeah, three point eight four, some some right. like that for per imperial gallon or something like that. Right. So while <laughs> in the U.S. you might buy gas for three dollars a gallon, here it would be like a dollar sixty four a liter, which would bring it up to oh, uh, at least five dollars. Five dollars. At least uh, yeah, at least five dollars uh, per per gallon. It's more right. expensive than the fuel. So, for sure right but the, let's face it the price of fuel is not going to drop down back to 80 no. cents it's, no. it's a little more expensive in the states well, as well it's it's close well, it's to getting yeah it's now. getting more yeah, yeah. it's getting between three and four i think yeah. is where yeah. it's, it's, it's sitting right now and the nice thing is with an electric car you don't have that extra cost of all that fuel yeah, yeah. The, the other problem is is since i live in an apartment building i gotta find a place to plug it in yeah that's my other little problem but i think i, mean, that, I could probably solve that i think that's the main block for electric vehicles right now mm-hmm. is the lack of plugins oh there's a plug-in at the td down the road <laughs> if you want that one yeah that's right i'll just go park the car there and there you go just charge it there um do you guys hear that uh, you know the island the, the komodo island with huh? the komodo dragons well they're closing the island because people have been quote stealing the dragon what for what pets apparently <laughs> apparently uh, they've, uh, they've stolen Tourists have stolen over 41 dragons at this point. People are stupid. And apparently they're selling them for $35,000 a piece. How do you steal them? I mean, do you stick well, them up your shirt you, you'd or have you to steal have a, a little kettle? You'd have to steal a very small one to begin have, with because yeah. those things are huge. And, and not just that. That's what I was wondering. How do you... I mean, you could almost ride one out of the park. Yeah. And not overly friendly. And no. they're extremely dangerous. Yeah. That's what people don't realize, you know. I mean, uh, the, the uh, some of the bacteria in their saliva is so toxic, that's how they kill. Oh, yeah. Don't they, they just bite them and they wait? They bite and wait yeah. for the infection to go, and they just follow until the, the creature just dies of blood poisoning, and boom, that's it. So I'm not sure that you want that as a pet. So yeah. the UNESCO is basically... No, I was kidding. Yeah, yeah uh, UNESCO is basically saying there's about approximately five thousand dragons left on the on the mm. uh, islands and surrounding islands, so they're closing those islands because apparently people are just too stupid. Mm. Okay. Guys, if you want toothless, go get yourself a black cat. It's like a little toothless, and you have a mini house panther too. It's fantastic. Yeah, just put some put some wings on it. Um, scientists, uh, you guys probably saw, saw that. Scientists have unveiled for the, the first image of a black hole. At the center yes. of the Messier 87 galaxy. You saw that image. Right. And, and, and who was the head of the team? Oh, I don't... Well, I know, I know it's a woman, but I didn't put that down. Uh, uh, anyway, this, uh, this galaxy is uh, 55 light years away. Uh, it was a scientific collaboration called the Event Horizon Telescope and involved 200 scientists from 20 countries. I, I can't remember her name, but she's really yeah, well, a powerhouse. Yeah, she's, there's a 29-year-old woman yes. that is uh, one of the uh, most responsible for the uh, algorithm that helped uh, create the image. I know. I mean, it's just does, it just does so much good for women in science and, and to uh, you know for the STEM program. Mm-hmm. Everything has just taken a, a boost because of, of, the, of what she's done. Now, when you see that, 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 that image, it kind of, kind of looks like a, a donut thing. You have to understand that, you know, for, for us lay people, uh, I'm no, I'm no uh, astrophysicist, but I'm going to try to explain. Essentially, what you're seeing, you're seeing the ring of light is actually the light that is being warped around. So imagine having a, a light behind the black hole and it's warping around uh, the, the, the black hole. It's going far enough 
from it without being pulled in. And that's what we're seeing, essentially, and escaping it. Um, they are analyzing the data from our own black hole in, the, in our galaxy, in the Milky Way, which is called Sagittarius A. But this is the first one they've released. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last but certainly not least, i got to ask your, uh, maybe your opinion on Julian Assange that was essentially uh, expelled from the Ecuadorian uh, uh, embassy uh, when he took refuge in there in 2012 to avoid extradition to Sweden over a sexual assault case, which have been dropped since. And um, the co-founder of WikiLeaks was arrested this week, and he's charged with hacking, and he faces at least five years in jail at, at this point. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah, the embassy is thrilled that uh, the the worst hygiene offender in the world and the guy who never picked up his after his cats is finally got Portugal is now you know heaving a sigh (laughs) of of relief but I think it's about time he was there for eight years he's not a journalist he's a you 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 think you think it's a good thing that they they got him yeah Yeah? okay I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree with you on this. That's okay. I just don't think he's a journalist. I think from everything I know, he, you know, he participates in in uh, stealing in, information. Well, and, that's the funny and thing. It, so it's not a matter of a free press. It's a matter of whether he's actively engaged in, in spying and sabotage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, well, not, a, I'm not a fan. That's the funny thing about him, though. I mean, he's accused of hacking, yet there is no mention of the word hacking in any of the documents yeah. that he, the, the, that he's been accused of. And, and um, at the same time, WikiLeaks, love him or hate him, uh, they don't release opinion pieces. Hmm. They just release what they get. You know, they receive stuff and they just release it. That's what they do. So th- there's no misinformation in what they release. And you got to give them that. So I don't know where I stand right now. A lot of people are, are saying that, you know, it's a bad idea and it's a, it's a blow to journalism. And I, I have a tendency to agree. Uh, Assange himself, what, he, what kind of person is he as his character? I don't know. I'm not sure where I stand at this point. It's, it's really one of those things. I really don't know where which side of the fence I fall on. Well, it seems that he's... Now, I, I, I haven't read in depth either, but it seems as though he will resort to anything to get the information. Mm. And that's where his default Maybe, lies, yeah. not, in, not in publishing it. Because free press is free press. And the free press, you know, if they don't know where something comes from... They, they can publish it and they're not at fault. But between Chelsea Manning and and I, I gather he encouraged Chelsea Manning mm-hmm. to 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 get all of that. That's where the, the problem. Yeah, that's where the And then there's was. some involvement with the Russian government as well. It'll sort itself out. Will but, it? Yeah. Will I it, think. or is it just a way to silence him and silence? People that have a tendency to to, to go after the story. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm. You could I'm almost optimistic. do a show on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, if we know of anybody who has more knowledge on this, mm-hmm. it would. It, I'd love to, you know, learn learn as much as possible and be able to form my opinions, maybe, you know, on more facts than I actually have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's certainly something we'll have to take a look at because if if it is just a way to shut him up. Uh, then the, this sets a really dangerous precedent. Yeah, but my and understanding is that that. that but boy, the, if anybody's the, the pa- out there that knows more, yeah. give us a give and, us an email. And, and a we, ring. we've we've said on the show the past couple of years have been very dangerous for journalists. Mm-hmm. And yeah. is this a trend that's going to continue? Yeah. And is he just simply another victim of that trend, or is he is his case really different? 
My understanding is that it's a different, you know, because I've been listening to quite a bit, and sometimes the pundits aren't always right, and they no, come with an agenda. Yeah. But my understanding is that it is not journalism and free press. It's all of the the background. Mm. Yeah, stuff. yeah. So. I can I can understand if they wanted to, to put him in court for going beyond what a journalist would do to get the information mm-hmm. that he wants to release. I can understand that. But if if he if he's done something that's you know within because some journalists will go all to great lengths to get the story I get that but if he's done nothing that that's too much out of the ordinary but I guess part of it is that Chelsea Manning got sentenced yeah. and Assange didn't but essentially they were in cahoots mm-hmm. doing yeah. doing exactly the same thing exactly exactly well it's going it's to be an interesting story to follow for sure oh absolutely alright well moving on there tell, uh, tell me a story that isn't Politically interesting in this time of our oh, yeah. of our life. May you live in interesting times, put a, right? You know, put a dartboard up and pick one. May you live in interesting times. All yeah, right, my dear Nancy. Exactly. You got a top ten for us? I do. Actually, I was thinking this week that this usually starts the good weather in North America, and like yourself. There are a lot of people who like to take their Harleys and their old Indians and their other <laughs> form of motorcycles out on the road. And maybe people are starting to plan where they're going to go. So here are 10 of the best motorcycle rides Ooh, in, nice. in North America. Ooh. I mean, they're, they're not numbered 1 through 10 because it's really hard to um, to rate, I think. It's a, it's personal pleasure and where, where you want to go. So mm-hmm. here's some, some really interesting places that, I don't know, All Kevin, bikers out there. Yeah, Kevin, would you be tempted to go to the U.S. and take a good motorcycle ride, or would you rather stay up here in Canada if you had the time? Oh, God, if I had the time? Well, I'd probably go anywhere if I had the time. Okay, well, there may <laughs> be some on the list that uh, will appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, in no particular order, the first one would be the Blue Ridge Parkway in Virginia, mm. which is an absolutely gorgeous um, road that covers Virginia and the North Carolinas. Very scenic, Blue Ridge Parkway. It runs for 469 miles, starting from uh, Waynesboro, Virginia, and then to the south near the Cherokee Indian Reservation in North Carolina. I've driven uh, part of that, and it really is just mm. just beautiful. You just don't want to blink, because, or you want to go like three miles an hour in order to <laughs> just enjoy what's by the side of the road. It's absolutely gorgeous. So a lot of hidden treasures that, that are there along the way, and so that um, that ought to be a starting point from anybody on the East Coast that Sounds they would good. like to go. And it goes through the Shenandoah, Shenandoah National Park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and um, the road allows no commercial traffic or business. So, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, it's about two or three day ride. So if you want to, you know, plan it, plan for, for plenty of time. Um, here's one, top of the world highway in Canada mm-hmm. and the U.S. And that goes through Alaska Highway 5 and the Yukon Highway 9. It's only 79 miles long, so it's not a, a long ride. It takes more time to get up there than it does to do the ride. Mm. But um, you, you, it's, it's a highway that has a lot of um, 
uh, ruggedness, the, sort of like the last frontier, mostly hard packed gravel road, um, some pavement, but it's a, it's a challenge. So if you like a challenge. Sure it is, yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's just gravel. Yeah, that might be some place. It would take a while. How long would it take to get from British well, Columbia to uh, the Alaska Highway in the Yukon? Oh, I, I would say at least 15 hours. At the yeah. very least. So that would be a ride in itself, oh, I yeah. guess, unless you've got it on a flatbed somewhere. So that might be nice just to include British Columbia and go all the way, mm-hmm. all the way out. Um, so the um, the next one is close to us, the North Cascades Highway. Mm. Have you been down there? No. Nope. Have you been to North Cascades? It's really pretty. State Highway 20 from Burlington, mm-hmm. Washington, which is oh, about two hours, hour and a half. From where we are and that's on the western edge and it goes to the Okanagan and at the eastern slope is supposed to have one of the really um, hidden supposed to be a hidden treasure nice. of the motorcycle road so come up here do the North Cascades be a part of our show and then go up to Alaska <laughs> I mean this is where I got your summer if you want got your summer planned already absolutely the next one is the Beartooth Highway and Chief Joseph Scenic Byway. That's a long sign in, in itself uh-huh. in the U.S. And those are in um, Montana and Wyoming. Ooh. Yeah, you look interesting. Would that That'd be, be one? Yeah, it would be. That's interesting. Um, interesting. Wait, country. So you tell me Wyoming exists for real? Pardon? You tell me Wyoming exists for real? I thought it was an invention of the media. No. There's actually a place called, oh, wow. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, These by themselves could have been two separate inductees in the top ten, but uh, because they're so close, the authors of this list put them close together, and uh, uh, the reason they love it is because there's a series of switchbacks and zigzags, and um, you get to... A 10,947 mark at the top of Beartooth Pass, which must be a, mm. a real thrill, and then you go down the Chief Joseph Highway. So that uh, supposed to be really, really beautiful. So I'll say it again: that's the Beartooth Highway and Chief Joseph Scenic Byway. Anybody interesting? Look that one up. Here's one. Um, that I've driven <laughs> and it scared the living daylights out of mm. me. Highway 89 and 89A Jerome to Wickenburg in mm. uh, Arizona. It, when you go from Phoenix to Sedona, which is one of the greatest places in the in the world to go, it's just mystical and scenic. There are two ways to go. You can go the highway or you can go through part of the desert going to Jerome and I decided no I'm not going the highway I'm going to Jerome Mm. people who like challenges go and I was white knuckle (laughs) the entire way I was a white knuckle I I, I always envision Arizona I mean I've only been in Arizona a few few times but it's mostly flat so what was so white knuckle about it as you're going through you can see the mountain ahead of you mm-hmm. and you get very close and you think oh this ought to be a piece of cake you know just going but it's got switchbacks and hairpin turns mm. and as you're driving you, there's barely enough room for you to go up and another car oh. to come down oh. on that side so it's like uh 
when and there's no place to stop so you keep going until you get to Jerome then you run out you go to the bathroom you get something cold to drink you pant for about 25 minutes and then you think okay I'm ready I'm ready now but it um, it's only 12 miles but there are a hundred curves in oh, that 12 wow. mile stretch wow. so in a motorcycle it's got to be thrilling mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a station wagon full of gear it wasn't so wasn't so thrilling but maybe if i did it a second time i'd be i'd be more prepared now that but, you're prepared for it and you know what's going to come yeah you know what's going to happen but um this is the the hill that you that uh, you, you go up is is this is part of the sonoran desert so you leave some time because you you may want to turn around and go in the opposite direction but you may really just want to go um you know ahead and go to um uh, you know, just some more scenic places, Lake Powell or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. on the other side. Anyway, another one that I've been on, which is absolutely spectacular, is called Going to the Sun Road, and that's in western Montana, and it's one of the most scenic rides in the in the U.S. And it um, you, you go through Glacier National Park, which is which mm-hmm. is beautiful. But the Going to the Sun Highway, I think, has been there since the uh, the 1920s, and like many other, or maybe earlier, like many other highways, it was all labor, you know, to get through the mountain passes, and so every curve that you go around is a is a a, a different different view and it's absolutely fantastic. So it's very windy and it's very narrow and it's absolutely gorgeous. And um, anybody who would, would like to go, that that's a good recommendation. Now here's one from Canada. It's called the Canet, I'm going to just mess this up. It's in Alberta, Kanaskis, K-A-N-A-N-A-S-K-I-S, Kanaskis Trail. Kanaskis it's part Trail. of Alberta's Highway 40. Hmm. And south, have you been through there going? No, I don't think so. I've only been through um, Edmonton and just north of it. So really, really, really far from it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is this is the highest paved road in Canada. It's called the High the Highwood Pass, mm. and it's located just west of Calgary. Mm. Yeah. So they they have um, snow on the peaks, and it's not a not a road that you want to go on in the winter time. No. At this time of year, to plan those in, in Canada that haven't haven't been there, that's a, that's a great great place to go. Um, believe it or not, Death Valley is on. It's oh, yeah, I believe list. Yeah. yeah, and it's a, probably a, a big surprise, but uh, taken for what it is, it's just uh, a, a simple. The road going through the desert. You leave Nevada on Pahrump on Highway 178 West, and um, it was a trading route at one time. Mm-hmm. So that's why be be careful of the weather. Yeah, Still. because you know what, riding a motorcycle when it's hot and you have hot wind blowing at you, it's yeah. like road, riding in front of a, a, a hair dryer. It's not fun. Yeah, but it's a it's a well maintained road, so mm-hmm. at least you're not going to worry. Uh, the last two are the Black Hills of South Dakota, mm-hmm. um, and that's near Sturgis, which is the great motorcycle rally, I guess, in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so they it's, you go through Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse Monument, all in one day. So it really is really is great. Um, and if you go to Sturgis, go after or before the rally, not during the rally when it's so crowded. <laughs> and 
last but not least, the Mexico Federal Highway 1, and it's called the Trans-Peninsular Highway. Mm. Uh, it runs down the Baja Peninsula, yeah, yeah, yeah. a thousand miles. Wow. And it starts south of San Diego, uh, in Tijuana, and ends up at Cabo San Lucas. And it says that ride will just leave you breathless. Have oh, you yeah. ever heard of that ride? Or oh, oh, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. It's supposed to be a really good pavement. Some of Mexico doesn't always have, you know, the best of pavement. But there you go. You've got there from go. the top of Alaska till the, uh, the peninsula, Cabo San Lucas, and everywhere in between. So Sounds like had, a road trip. It is. If you had to choose... Which one, if you can remember one out of the ten, what sounded like it would be the most spectacular for you? Oh boy! Uh, well, the one, the one I'm always told to do um, from my biker buddies, which you know they always try to coerce me to do Route 66, oh. which I'm surprised was not on there. It's kind of the the, the classic. The one, classic, isn't it? yeah, the classic Route 66. Yeah, which well, is, I think perhaps because. There, there are places where there is no 66, and a lot of it is more commercial, mm-hmm. so you don't get a lot of the outdoor scenery. You get to go through a lot of great towns, but not necessarily mm. you know, places that are scenic. But to say that you did it and go from coast to coast, that... That, that would be something else. Yeah, so what, what appealed to you, Kirsten? Oh, I think, I know I loved it when we drove up for a road trip up to Kelowna. So I think going up to the Yukon and Alaska, doing that. Oh, yeah. I think that would be really nice. I'm surprised, too, that there's not that route that um, in Ontario, I guess it'd be Highway 1, that just goes around the Great Lakes, around Lake Superior. The, yeah. the scenery, you just Ooh, got that the, would be gorgeous. Yeah, you just like, got oh, the, the, yeah. the immense lake on one side there, which looks like the ocean, essentially, at that point. And you just you're just riding it. It's nothing but forest as well. Yeah. So that, that'd be that'd be a great route as well. It would, but you know the, the thing about the top ten list is that it's somebody's list that decided. Yeah, that exactly. they were they were the top ten for them. You take somebody it with a grain else's of salt. list. You know that route around the the, the the lakes might be number one on on someone else's someone else's. Yeah, exactly. List. Perfect. Yep. Well, thank you, my dear Nancy. Mm-hmm. My dear Kirsten, do you have another brilliant moment for us? Yes, I do. <coughs> Brought to you by religion. Well, so we know that pot is legal now here in Canada. <laughs> Boy, <but do> we know. <laughs> but it's still legal in Wisconsin. However, a church known as the Lion of Judah House Rastafari is arguing that the law allows for it to use marijuana as part of its religious practices, despite a statewide ban. It was Rastafarian, yeah. Uh, To be blunt, the church, known as the Lion of Judah (laughs) Rastafari, was made possible through the joint effort of Jesse Schwark and Dylan Bangert. Was it joint effort? (laughs) Joint effort. Both said the First Amendment and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act protects them and allows them to use marijuana as part of their religious practice. The First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Yes. Schwark said he knows his rights and said using cannabis is how people in the Rastafarian religion weed out the bad. (laughs) <laughs> this is a non-profit church Schwark said We all use cannabis to meditate And also for the religious purpose For uplifting our mind and our body and our spirit Wisconsin is behind the times When it comes to medical cannabis legalization Or decriminalization So if religion is the loophole they're using Well, it's among the least problematic things Religion has ever been used yeah, to justify I would agree, I would agree. 
Of all the loopholes they find, that's the least one. The operators of the sanctuary seem open-minded, but they still don't want people to think they can just walk in and buy weed from their church. That would certainly get them shut down. Uh, cannabis is used as a religious sacrament. You can't just roll up and buy it. You have to be a member of their church mm-hmm. and make donations to them. And Schwark made it clear that they do not sell it and it cannot be gifted to the public. There we go. We just want people to be sincere in that aspect of the religion, Schwark said. We don't have to agree on everything. We are open. We are all denominational. So you can so you come as you are. Be yourself. Share your stories and let things and the things you know. We don't have a monopoly on knowledge or anything like that. We just try to encourage people to talk and have fellowship together and break bread. There we go. So it's just like, you know, be happy, get high. Almost sounds like the kind of church we would join. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather join a church that has to do with robbing banks. So <laughs> you know, as part of your religion, you know, to <laughs> you know to keep accumulating wealth. And, I mean, I think you could you could hide behind religion for for whatever. You want to get high, or do you want to go rob banks and have money? You know, maybe you could have been a good thuggy. You know, I mean, you have yeah. to kill people for part of the religion. You know? I could. Well, you, I could start that one. You, well, it used oh. to be there. Yeah, you could just revive it. Yeah, the you know. The the, assa- the the Assassin Church of Holy Ascension or yeah, something. There, there we go. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's got a nice ring to it, Nancy. It does. It does. You, you could just say you're a holy warrior and you gotta go forth and defeat evil, and yeah. that includes you know killing a person once in a while. That's right. And making a you making got, a profit at it too. You gotta get <laughs> gotta get rid of the bad people. That's right. That's right. right. We could we could include a little little pot in that as well, you know, <laughs> for meditation purposes only. When it comes to religion, you could put anything. Anything. In. Centering the mind. You can't beat the batshit crazy that's out there already. No. I guess oh, I, even, now I got to get another T-shirt. The Assassin Church of the Holy Ascension. <laughs> Patreon goal. I know. The Assassin Church. <laughs> Member of the Church of Assassination. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Not else? assignation, it has to be a- 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 assassination. Assassination. But it could be either. Okay, so in a story so weird, you'd swear it had, it had to take place in Florida. <laughs> a Kentucky man is suing a hotel because his manager allegedly tried to force him into an exorcism. Oh, hold, hold on. The manager tried to force a guy into an exorcism? Yes. How do you do that? How do you... Excuse me, sir. You need to be exercised today for some reason or another. We're not sure why, but... <laughs> I don't... I've already been doing my exercises this morning. So no, no, no. Exorcise. Oh. Exorcise. Not, it's good that you do your exercise before your exorcism. Oh, it's good. That's, that's where the problem starts. You want to make sure you're, you're in better shape than your demons. Gotcha. <laughs> demons are lazy to begin with. <laughs> anyway. Jason Fields began working at a Hampton Inn in Hazard, Kentucky... Oh, it's in oh, that's no the problem right Around there. June of t- 2016 as a front desk employee. When his boss, Sharon Linden, found out he was getting divorced, she told him she was a member of a local church and blamed his marital problems on demons. Oh, of course. And no front desk employee of hers could have demons. <laughs> Linden is accused of telling Fields he had to get cleansed in order to keep working at the hotel... Linden gave Fields a questionnaire with many questions about religion and intimate activities. Fields said in the lawsuit he was asked to return it to Linden before undergoing an exorcism. Now, the funny thing is, if you met his ex-wife, she's the demon. That's why he's getting rid of her. (laughs) (laughs) Fields accuses Linden of 
punishing him for not participating in the questionnaire and exorcism by changing his shift and bringing in people from her ministry to pray for him while he was working. This would happen in front of the guests and this would lead Fields to quit his job. Way over the line. Way over the line, lady. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the questionnaire issued by Lyndon, you can see why he had no desire to fill it out. And wouldn't it just happen? I have the questions. Oh, boy. Okay. Mm. Question time. Let's see what we we would answer these questions. Okay. What is your church background? (laughs) Well, that's innocuous. (laughs) Briefly explain your conversion experience. Uh I went on to Damascus, fell off a horse, banged my head. (laughs) Were you baptized as a child? No, the priest tried to drown me first. (laughs) In one word, who is Jesus Christ to you? The fraud that people perpetuate (laughs) till this day. (laughs) What does the blood of of Calvary mean to you? Uh, means somebody somebody needs to clean up in aisle five. <laughs> is repentance part of your Christian life? Who? <laughs> what is your prayer life like? <laughs> Non-existent at this point. <laughs> and and they get weirder from here. The oh, oh you passed those. That oh was, god. To go on to the second. I'm sure I can answer. I can find too many yeah. answers to these questions. Were you a planned child? <laughs> <laughs> Were you conceived out of wedlock? Have you personally ever had psychiatric counseling? Have you, your parents, or grandparents been in any cults? Yeah, they're all Christians. (laughs) Have you ever made a pact with the devil? (laughs) No, but I'm starting to wish I did. (laughs) Have you ever been involved in Eastern religion? Eastern religion? Oh, like Buddhism or something like that. Have you ever visited heathen temples? Do you have any witches, such as good luck kitchen witches, in your home? Good luck kitchen witches? Good luck kitchen witches. What the hell is a... What's a good luck kitchen witch? I don't know. I, I've got a sandwich. I don't know, but if if, he, if the kitchen witch cooks, I'm they come to my house. We're down. I've got a sandwich yeah. in my fridge. Does that count? <laughs> and here we go. Do you have lustful thoughts? Right now, All I the do. time. I have lustful thoughts just about this right now. That's right. To your knowledge, was there evidence of lust in your family line? (laughs) Do you frequently masturbate? I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Have you ever been a victim of incest by a family member? Oh, God. Have you ever committed incest, rape, or molested anyone? No, I'm not a Catholic priest. (laughs) (laughs) Ten points for Nancy with that one. Have you ever committed fornication, adultery, been with prostitutes, had homosexual or lesbian desires, or experiences? In other words, have you ever had any fun? Pretty much. (laughs) Have you ever sexually fantasized about an animal? Ew. (laughs) Have you been involved in oral or anal sex? Have you... What time is it? (laughs) (laughs) Have you fathered a child that has been aborted? Has pornography ever attracted you? And last, do you have desires of having sex with a child? Holy crap. That is the questionnaire. Some, some, well, yeah, th- that's pretty an intense oh. questionnaire and really deep into a personal life can, of a can person. You think? Can you just imagine the questions they left out? Yeah. That's, that's way those over are the, the ones line. That made, those are the ones that made it. Holy goodness. Yeah. I'd like to see the ones that are in the wastebasket. But it just shows their mindset that right away yeah. they think that, you know, they, they start they start blaming all the ailments of the world on you. And they 
they're highly directed towards sex right away. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, like, oh, you're not guilty of this? Well, try this yeah, one you, on. <laughs> have you been raped as a child? No, but did you rape people? It's like, well, you don't yeah. ask. Well, don't so, the company that oversees the hotel chain has stated that they oppose faith-based discrimination and are investigating the, the incident. She needs to get fired. Uh, big oh, time. This I would, is way over the line. I would love to see it when they read the questionnaire. Oh, my God. Hmm. I'm amazed. I'm, wow, I'm amazed you got those questions. By the I way, I mean, even even in Hazard, <laughs> Kentucky, that's a little. Old. Yeah, even for Kentucky, like that's. Whew. So, so the employer was it uh, the uh, the Creation Museum <laughs> with Ken Ham? Was it the employer? <laughs> oh. Well, believe it or not, well, that's a silly way to start. But I knew people who were actively in who were actively doing. <clears throat> Uh, exorcism as part of marital counseling. They were part of a group that that's they, they were casting out casting out demons, and it was. It, how do you talk to people? I mean, you know, and I'm pretty diplomatic and talking to, to actually have conversations about doing it is yeah. really difficult. But it does exist. Yeah, you know, it kind of cuts your mood exist. for the honeymoon, doesn't it? Oh. When you tell you you have to go through an exorcism first. Yeah. Christina and I are friends with our demons, so it's <laughs> yeah. all good. <laughs> yeah, That's so right, snuggling, snuggling, snuggling in the demons. We snuggle yeah. with our demons. Snuggling with yes. the demons. <laughs> oh, my God. The Christianity today, the, the stuff. Anyway, we could go Just, on with this. Thank you, my dear. Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> like, here, in order to keep working here, fill out this questionnaire, and and when you're finished, wait three hours past your appointed time, and we'll get to your exorcism. That's right. <laughs> and at yeah. the end, he said, well, you better do this quick, because the next full moon, I'm turned to a werewolf. It's like, oh. these people are insane. Well, thank you, my dear. Perfect. So let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll be with Professor Joel Backen, and we'll be talking about corporations. So stay with us. Listen to the Zachrilich Cast podcast, YouTube video, interview program that features me talking to some of the best and brightest in the atheist slash secular slash awesome community. I interview people. We curse and usually drink beer because why not? It's the Zachrilich Cast, Z A C H R I L E G E, and I can spell it after two beers so you can too. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? years, this old man had taught us and he had believed. He believed that the Golgi apparatus was an artifact. He thought it didn't exist. And then one day, an American cell biologist came and gave a public lecture in our department in which he demonstrated beyond all possible doubt that the Golgi apparatus was real. Our old man strode to the front of the lecture hall, shook him by the hand and said, My dear fellow, I wish to thank you. I have been wrong these 15 years. And all of us applauded till our hands were red. 
and none of us will ever have forgotten that incident. That is science at its best. That's the very opposite of faith. is a professor of constitutional law at UBC. He wrote the book The Corporation, which was later made into a movie, a documentary. It was a fantastic documentary. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Professor Joel Bakken, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thanks for having me on. Well, you say that now, but you might regret that later. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Bakken, you and I had some uh, previous encounter, but for a public that might not exactly know who you are, would you be so kind to give us maybe a quick bio as to who Joel Bakken is? Yep, sure. I, uh, I'm a law professor, but I also like to write books and make documentary films that uh, reach beyond the university and uh, try to make them in a way that they're enjoyable to read and informative and enjoyable to watch, uh, to take the ideas that I cook up out at the university and try to send them out into the world uh, rather than just talking to other eggheads like myself out there at UBC. <laughs> well, I appreciate you giving time to us, the little people. <laughs> <laughs> well, hardly that, but uh, it's more the egghead people out at the other end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I want to talk to you about uh, a book that you wrote that was made into a documentary in 2003, a Canadian documentary called The Corporation. Uh, this, this was essentially... Uh, if, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, you basically went and said uh, corporations are regarded as a legal person under the law. If they are a legal person, let's psychoanalyze what type of person they are. Would I be correct in uh, basically... You get an A-plus on the exam. Perfect. Oh, good. Yay. Stop while you're ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, stop while I'm ahead. Yeah, you're right. So maybe- you know, that's right, Kevin. But, you know, what? what uh, the, the sad thing is, is that you put a book like that out in the world and you put a film like that in, out in the world and you think, um, okay, well, this is going to wake people up and and it's going to change everything. Um, that's your sort of naive thinking going into it. And uh, so what happened is we put it out there and there got a lot of, uh, you know, buzz and it had a lot of impact and all of that. And things just have gotten worse over the last two decades. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got Donald Trump in the White House. We've got corporations more powerful than ever uh, taking over everything, schools, water systems, uh, being deregulated all over the place. Uh, we have the left in disarray to some extent, which is something we can talk about. Um, and so about uh, three, four years ago, uh, looking at this situation, I, I thought it was necessary to take another kick at the can. So. Uh, I've spent the last mm, couple of years making another film, which I'm now in the process of editing. It'll be out in January 2020 and uh, and writing another book, uh, which will be out around the same time. Fantastic. Fantastic. And we'll have to bring you on for sure to promote that as much as we can. But let's go back to the, the one you did in the corporation here. Uh, it got 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. Uh, the documentary begins with an unusual detail that came from the 14th Amendment that under constitutional law, corporations are seen as individuals. So maybe you give, maybe can you give us a brief history? Because when people say, "What do you mean corporations are individual?" What does that really mean? 
Sure. Well, it depends on how brief uh, you want it to be. The idea actually goes back to Roman law. So, uh, you know, it could spend the next, uh, I don't know, several hours talking about <laughs> how, how, it, how it got from Roman law into British law into Canadian and U.S. law. Um, I guess the first thing to note is that the 14th Amendment, of course, is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. So the uh, the idea of personhood uh, is not just a U.S. idea, however. It's an idea that really pervades all legal systems in the world. Uh, and the basic idea is this, that you take a bunch of shareholders and, you know, maybe 10 shareholders, maybe 100, maybe a million, maybe 10 million for big companies. And those shareholders put their money into the company and they want to get the benefit of putting their money in the company, but they don't want to suffer the detriment if things go sideways. Mm -hmm. if the company uh, pollutes a river and gets sued or if it goes bankrupt or whatever. So what they do, what the law does is it says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, instead of making those people responsible, we're going to create this fictitious person that is the whole collection of those people. We're going to turn into one person, and that's going to be the corporate person, and that's going to be uh, the person that is on the hook for, uh, for liabilities. Uh, that's going to be the person that operates legally in the economy and all the shareholders uh, don't have to worry ever about getting sued. And so that's called limited liability. Their liability is limited because we've created this corporate person uh, to assume it. And the, these, these people that created this corporate person, they did that piggybacking essentially on the 14th Amendment, which was essentially, if I remember correctly, giving human rights to the slaves in the U.S., right? Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., that's how it went. So okay. it's important to, to draw a couple of distinctions because, of course, U.S. law doesn't govern in Canada mm -hmm. or in Britain or anywhere else. So in the U.S., they had their own particular history. And basically, the 14th Amendment was designed to give rights to freed slaves uh, to ensure that they had equality. And some really clever corporate lawyers in the late 19th century said, hey, you know, we can jump on that uh, bandwagon, too, and we can say that we deserve rights. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, promote an interpretation before the courts that says that corporations are persons, too, just like freed slaves. And so they should also be able to take advantage of the rights that are granted there. So they should also get equality and they should get freedom of speech and they should get liberty. So that's how it happened in the United States. In Canada, the way it happened, you know, our charter wasn't uh, brought into the constitution until 1982. And what happened as soon as it was brought in, and again, some clever lawyers came along for tobacco companies this time and said, you know, we don't like restrictions on tobacco advertising. So we're going to say that as corporate persons, we can avail ourselves of the charter's guarantee of free speech. Oh, and they wow. succeeded in that. And they managed to get the laws struck down. So in every country, it happens a little bit differently. But the essentials of it are this, that first, the law determines that this collective of shareholders is just one person, the corporate person. And second, the law grants rights to that person, often rights under the Constitution that allow that person to challenge government's attempts to regulate it. Has there been any country where this uh, attempt 
at bringing people together as a corporate entity, as a as a person, was unsuccessful. The countries are basically no, no, this is not float. This is not going to float. Uh, no, I, I mean, really, any country that wants to operate in the global economy needs to have a legal in in our capitalist corporate capitalist global economy. Uh, needs to have the capacity to recognize corporations as single persons. It's it's really the the kind of hidden secret of the entire system is mm -hmm. the entire system depends upon that. Uh, and so, you know, there are outliers. I mean, there's North Korea, for example. Yeah, um, but but basically, the world economic system, which is becoming more and more globalized, depends on this notion that when you're talking about General Motors, or you're talking about Nike, or you're talking about uh, any other corporation, that that at law is recognized as a as an individual, as a person. Wow, pretty intense. Mm -hmm. It's pretty intense. So, so I guess I guess, I, I guess the, the the idea it didn't spawn in the U.S. first, or did it? Well, as I said, the the idea that you could have a group of investors treated as one person goes back to Roman times. Okay, yeah, uh, and actually even before that to Phoenician times. So. There's always been this notion that you can kind of magically deem something that's not a person to be a person. And I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but the reason for that is that the law, and this is true of legal systems around the world, the law only recognizes people as being able to have rights and liabilities. And so in order to get something to have rights and liabilities, you need to effectively magically say it's a person mm. and so there's some interesting uh things going on in some countries where they say well if we do that for corporations let's do it for trees and let's do it for rivers yes yes and that and and so in new zealand they've actually designated certain rivers to have legal personhood so that they'll be protected by the law yeah, wow. they've also done that. I think I read an article in India where they've they have uh, uh, what they call non-human persons, like right. dolphins, for example. They have the right; they have legal rights under the law as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Really so it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Then, and it's not in and of itself; it's not a bad concept, but it's become a bad concept because it's enabled very, very, very large concentrations of wealth and power to operate on the same plane as individuals at law and so that 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 they've been able to leverage this idea uh, to exert their power without um, the people who benefit from it being liable for the things that they do. In other words, if I'm facing a corporation, they got way deeper pockets than I do. You got it. Exactly. But it's just you against the corporation. You know, I mean, put the corporation and you in a boxing ring, it's kind of obvious. I mean, I'm not insulting you or anything. I'm sure you'd be good, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so what, I know this is going to reduce everything to absolute simplicity, simplicity, but what would you say the, the major benefit would be because of the law to the corporation and what would be the major downfall or negative aspect to it? Right. Well, I think the benefit is that uh, in order to have an economy that functions with businesses that are larger than one or two or three people, 
um, you need some way for that entity to operate. You need some way for a Ford Motor Company to hire people and enter contracts with them. Well, for the Ford Motor Company to enter a contract, it has to be a person. So in order for a business to operate in the economy, it has to have personhood for it to operate as a business. And so I guess that would be the benefit. I think the, the downside is that the idea of personhood, A, allows all of the investors in a company to escape responsibility for the things that go wrong, the harms that the company does, while at the same time getting the benefits. So it's like a big irresponsibility machine. Uh, com- uh, a, a person can invest in a company and they know that they're only going to get the upside. The worst that's going to happen is they'll lose some money in their investment. But if the company does something like BP did to the Gulf of Mexico, nearly destroyed it with the Deepwater Horizon disaster, mm-hmm. none of the shareholders have to worry. You know, their share price goes down a little bit, but nobody's going to come after them and say you were negligent. That is all laid on the company. And so it enables the whole system to to kind of operate in a way that incentivizes, promotes irresponsibility. And that's not a good thing when you have actors that have as much power as major corporations do. So if you wanted to put a cap on this system that promotes irresponsibility, is there a way for the legal entity as the country to revoke corporate personhood to a company that's been really irresponsible? It, it can happen and it does happen. But I mean, there, yes, the answer is in Canadian law and in U.S. law, uh, the uh, incorporation is basically a license that's granted by the state and it can be revoked. Um, the, the real politic of it is that that does happen with usually small companies that uh, have evaded taxes for years or that have engaged in some other kind of infraction. Uh, and they'll have their, effectively their license, their incorporation will be revoked. Um, but it never happens with even the worst big companies. Uh, you know, Enron didn't lose its incorporation. Mm. Uh, so that doesn't happen. I mean, I, I think the the best way to deal with this problem, I mean, there are a number of ways. One is uh, corporate law used to have restrictions on how big corporations could become. Mm-hmm. They used to have caps on capitalization. Um, we're now hearing some people, like Elizabeth Warren in the United States, talking about breaking up companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Google and Facebook, mm-hmm. um, trying to end those monopolies. And in a way, she's going back to a, a much older uh, approach, which was to say it's really not a good thing for democracy and for people to have these huge concentrations of wealth and power. So we're going to put limits on how big they can get. We're going to put limits on how much they can uh, acquire other companies, how much they can take over other companies, how much they can merge with other companies. So we can have corporations, fine, but we're going to keep them to a a, a manageable size. Hmm. Um, And and so I think that's what we're starting to, to see some discussion about. Uh, especially, as I say, from Elizabeth Warren in terms of the uh, the big tech companies. With that, let's say, for example, that Warren is successful and she does that incentive in the States. 
Would that not maybe like a, a competing country like China would have the incentive to keep their corporations as is because they're bigger and more powerful at that point and might be able to gobble up the smaller ones? Yeah, of course, that that's the whole problem is that because we're operating on a global plane these days, uh, it, we we need to worry about things like that. And, and so, you know, in an ideal world, we would solve these kind of problems globally. Mm-hmm. We would say that uh, it's not good for the planet. It's not good for people. It's not good for, for health, for welfare uh, as, a, as a planetary system to have these large, unaccountable concentrations of wealth and power. And so ideally, and again, this is highly ideally, we would go through agencies like uh, like the United Nations. We would create treaties that uh, limited the size and scope of, of corporations. You know, we would take on this issue in as a global issue because it really is that. Um, because that is always the argument that's made. If we do this here in British Columbia, then, you know, our companies won't be able to compete in Canada. If we do it here in the United States, our companies won't be able to compete globally uh, and on and on and on. So we end up in this constant paralysis to do anything um, out of out of that fear. Now, having said that, I think there are ways to um, protect uh, local economies, um, but they're not very much in vogue these days. I mean, they're you know, we see Trump and his protectionist policies and we condemn him for them and all of that. But there is a, uh, a progressive history of protectionism uh, that really draws upon the root of the word, which is protect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the idea that nation states um, should be able to say as a matter of their democratic will, we don't want to allow certain things to happen. Uh, within our borders and in relation to our citizens and companies. We don't want the environment destroyed. We don't want people's lives destroyed. Uh, And so we're going to create policies. And if other countries don't create those policies, then we're not going to trade with them. Um, You know, so it can be done that way. But I think it's much better to be done uh, in a more unified way. And the way, for example, that climate is being approached in uh, in the international uh, agreements that are being made around it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I can understand because it's it's very complex because you're obviously dealing with human rights at this point. Right. Exactly. You had a question, Kirsten? Uh, Yeah. so I know we're talking about the corporations and everything and that. So I can see as with the human rights, how corporations can be seen as psychopaths. Mm-hmm. So one question is, what would a, what might a corporation look like if it had empathy? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's one, I'm, it's one I'm dealing with now in, in the new book that I'm dealing with, uh, that I'm writing and the new film. And the story goes something like this. Um, after we released the corporation not too long after that corporation started to say okay you know we got the message um we're changing now uh and it wasn't just our film of course it was a whole anti-globalization movement and a lot of a lot of criticism of corporations in the early 2000s so you start to see around 2005 big companies uh becoming sustainable corporate social responsibility saying that they're going to really entrench these these values at the core of their business models, uh, making all kinds of commitments around human rights, the environment, everything else, and basically saying we're empathetic now. We're no longer psychopaths. 
So part of my project in this new film and book is to say, actually, you still are, but you've just become more charming psychopaths. Um, And so I kind of strip away the veneer and I, I say, you know, you say you're empathetic, but you're not. So that's part of the story. But then the other part of your question is, okay, is it possible for a corporation to become genuinely empathetic? And there is a whole movement called the B Corporation movement or the Benefit Corporation movement that says that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to refashion the laws. It's trying to create various kinds of monitoring and certification schemes that are aimed at making corporations more caring institutions. And I have a lot of problems with that movement. I don't think it... um, uh, I don't think it delivers on on its its promise, but that's another story. Mm. The larger concern I have is that even if we make corporations empathetic, it's still going to be up to those who run them to decide how to exercise that empathy. Yeah, and it's still going to be the case that they're not democratic, that they're not accountable, that they have no lines of of restraint in any kind of democratically accountable way. So I, I, so the idea of leaving corporations with the, all the power they have, making them empathetic institutions doesn't quite solve it for me because then we have an empathetic dictatorship rather than a nasty dictatorship, which is better, but a benevolent dictatorship is still a dictatorship. And so I always argue, instead of trying to change the corporation, um, what we should do is think about what purposes it serves, what public purposes it serves. And I mentioned a few before. It's a useful vehicle for uh, for running a business, for innovating, for delivering services and goods. Uh, and 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 let's ask. How can we recraft it? How can we limit its power? How can we limit its size so that the good that it does, uh, it does, but it's not given the power to wreak the kind of havoc and harm that it does. And then what we really need to do is make our governments empathetic because our governments, unlike corporations, have the fundamental purpose, two fundamental purposes. One is to serve and protect the public good. And two is to do it in a way that reflects the popular will that's democratic. And the problem with corporations is that they don't have either of those things. So so I'm in favor of a larger role for a more democratized, more empathetic government, a smaller role for corporations. Uh, And to me, that's kind of the sweet spot. That's that's where we should be heading Mm -hmm. instead of accepting the power of corporations and saying, let's just make them exercise that power in ways that are nicer. So right now, like the U.S., for example, they're heading the completely wrong direction, with, especially with their, was it United, um, what was that ruling? United, Citizens uh, United. Citizens United, exactly. Saying basically money is speech. And of right. course, corporations have way more power yeah. than us. Right. Those are those are wrong-headed decisions. But, you know, even in the absence of Citizens United, the, the power of corporations is still far, far too great. I mean, there's a great quote from uh, an American Supreme Court Justice Brandeis back in the 1930s, and he said, you know, you can have large corporations and the concentrations of wealth and power that they have, or you can have democracy, but you can't have both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
wow, some scary thought. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, for example, uh, in, in your movie and in your book, uh, you talk about uh, another model uh, instead of using a typical corporation because what a lot of people don't think we live in a democracy, but when you get into your workplace, it's no longer a democracy. It is a dictatorship. You got to yeah. do your job or you're fired, right? Yeah. Except if you go into a place and you work at a co-op. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, how come this model of business is not more known or more popular? What is it about co-ops that people don't seem to like? You can't make as much money. Mm. I mean, you know, if we, we live in a society where where money has become the measure of success, where money has become the measure of goodness, where money is needed to be healthy, uh, to some extent to be happy, uh, but we've taken it way too far. I mean, we live in a world where it seems the the values of love, the values of caring, the values of community have all been overshadowed by money. Mm-hmm. And the thing about a cooperative is that it's not designed to make money. It's designed to serve the needs of its members, and that's it. The thing about capitalism, there's a reason why it's called capitalism. There's a reason why capital is the ism. Capital is is money that's produced through basically what Marx would call surplus value. That's produced through profit and through growth. And so our entire system is oriented to creating capital, to creating wealth for shareholders. And that is not what cooperatives do. And so in a system that's dominated by that ethos and that practice and that institutional reality, mm-hmm. um, you can have cooperatives like Mountain Equipment Co-op or uh, Cooperative of Fishers, Halibut Fishers up in Prince Rupert. You know, you can have various sectors organizing themselves into cooperatives, but the system as a whole is, is run on the notion of creating capital. And that is not what cooperatives do. So if we change that system and move to an ism like socialism, where protecting and promoting the social is the ism rather than protecting and promoting capital, uh, then we would have a whole different picture of things. There are places, having said that, where um, there's a lot of uh, work going on among, among workers and citizens to try to create a larger presence for cooperatives. Um, Jackson, Mississippi, of all places, has a movement called Cooperation Jackson uh, that's just incredibly inspiring. And I urge your listeners to um, to, to Google that, to look that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly inspiring example of people who are really um, sort of answering the question that you asked in a, in a very tangible way and saying, you know, let's try to do this. Let's try to to revitalize these uh, impoverished uh, and and stressed communities by moving towards this cooperative model, um, and that's something I'm watching quite closely, and I, I find very inspiring. Hmm, indeed, that would be inspiring. Mm-hmm. Cooperation, Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Um, this might be like a really broad question, but um, is in your opinion. Have we reached a limit of what capitalism can do for our society? Is it time for us to start thinking about using another ism, as you say? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I think people 
people too often don't really think about what capitalism means. I mean, we say, oh, we like it. You know, we get nice things and and some of us are doing okay, though fewer and fewer of us are doing okay. I mean, a lot of people are, are dropping out. But but when you actually think about it and, you know, if you came down from Mars and, and, and you said, okay, so you've got this society and the ism that it's chosen is this idea of capital. <laughs> So here's a society of people, of folks, of human beings who, you know, uh, who live lives of, of love and caring and friendship and family and all of these social values who, who want to be taken care of and want to take care of others. These sort of better sides of ourselves, our altruism, our, our communitarianism, all of that. So here's a system where they've said, now forget about all of that. What we're going to do is say that the system should be oriented towards creating capital. That's what we've got. And if you stop and think about it for just half a second, you realize, wow, that's weird. That, that we've actually taken this idea of capital and we've said that's going to be our ism. Yeah. That's going to be our big goal. That's going to be the thing that drives everything. Especially since, after all, money is essentially an abstract concept. Well, it is. It doesn't really exist either, right? No, it doesn't. And and what does exist are people's real needs, their real wants, their real desires, and their real beauty. I mean, that's what exists, is, is our humanity. So I don't know what the ism is, whether it's socialism or humanism or, or ecoism or some combination of all of that. But... If you just kind of started from the very beginning, if you put all of us behind a veil of ignorance, mm -hmm. we didn't know anything, and you gave us, you know, like on the old, uh, um, on the old Let's Make a Deal show, door number one, door number two, yep. door number three, and and the different doors were like, okay, what do you want your ism to be? Do you want it to be capital? Do you want it to be social? Do you want it to be love? Do you want it to be eco? I can't imagine that most people would choose capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, you're no, you're absolutely right. However, is it is it is it fair to say that we are so entrenched in the system? I mean, people can if I if I ask people to describe what the end of the world would look like, they can describe that. But if I describe to them, describe to me the end of capitalism, they can't. They can't even see the end of the system. But they can they can they they can imagine the end of the world. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. Uh, it, in its current existence, is maybe a hundred years old. Uh, it's hardly uh, definitive of all of human history, though people talk about capitalism as the end of history. Uh, it's a ridiculous notion that you know his, that that capitalism won't suffer the same fates as every other uh, system that's governed the planet, whether it be, you know, the system of empires or it be the system of theocracies or it be uh, any other kind of system. Uh, it's a it's a absolutely absurd notion uh, that this is the one system that's going to end history. So. So, yeah, it's 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 I mean, you know, you hang on to the idea on the one hand that Uh, it doesn't make any sense to think that we're going to have capitalism in a thousand years. If we have anything in a thousand years, we may not be here. Um, but at the same time, it's very hard to see how 
how it will come to an end. And, and I guess, you know, I guess I have two things to say about that. And this can be my, my final, my final note, because I've taken up your half hour. But <laughs> I, I, I think the final note would be that um, it, it is definitely going to come to an end at some point. The question is, what lies on the other side of it is better or worse? Because there are many kinds of non-capitalist systems that are a lot worse than even capitalism at its worst. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, you know, I, North Korea is not a capitalist country, uh, but it's not a system that I would want to see embraced. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so the question becomes then, how do we imagine? And we have to start imagining and doing the work of imagining what lies on the other side, what mm-hmm. kind of system we can create that is about trying to uh, bring out, sustain, protect human good, human need, human flourishing, uh, humanism. Uh, and and then we have to struggle for that. And that is why, I mean, part of the reason I do the work I do is to challenge that idea or to, to, to help people be able to see beyond capitalism, for to help people be able to see its contingency, the fact that it's really no more um, solid or entrenched than any of the other empires or systems that history has thrown up and that fall to ashes. So it's really, um, I mean, that's why I do the work I do. It's to, to help people step outside of it a little bit and, and be able to look at it uh, from not within its own terms and hopefully uh, spark their imaginations and, and inspire their action. Professor, when you see your, your young students in your class there, you have you have hope? Do you see, you see, you see them uh, responding to, to these ideas? Um, I do have hope. I, I see a lot of incredible uh, imagination and commitment among young people today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why I do the work I do. If I didn't do the work I do, I mean, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't do the work I do. I would go and make a lot more money being a lawyer. Um, so I, I, I believe, I, yeah, I do have hope. I, as I say, there'd be no point in, in being critical of the society we have in the absence of hope that we can have a better one. Fantastic. Professor Bakken, thank you so much for helping us with this today. But before I let you go, uh, what's coming on the pipe for uh, Joel Bakken there? Well, you said you, you're releasing this uh, new movie and this new book by January 2020, right? Probably, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, probably somewhere between January and March 2020. Fantastic. Uh, the, the book and film will come out. Yep, so, you know, keep keep your eyes open. It's going to, it, hopefully it'll 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 hit big and, and, uh, and really help people grapple uh, with the very, very confusing times that we're in. Can we, uh, can, can I possibly ask what the title will be or is it still a secret? Not sure yet. Not sure I, yet, okay. I, I honestly am not sure yet. It, I mean, right now, you know, the working title is is The Corporation 2, mm-hmm. uh, the um, unfortunately necessary sequel. Oh. <laughs> so so speaking, of, speaking of hope and your book coming out, in 2020 are you beginning to think of the third book after the trump administration hopefully (laughs) is driven into the ground i am i figured 
I am. That'd be great. I've, I've got a, I've got some some I've got a few ideas queued up that I'm starting nice. to work on. Professor Bakken, if people want to ask you questions more about find out more about your books and your film, where can they reach you? Uh, you can go through my website, just uh, joelbacken.com. Joelbacken.com. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, this is Professor Joel Bakken, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, this is Professor Joel Bakken, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was Professor Joel Bakken of UBC. That was very, very informative and interesting. I want to take his, I want to sit in one of his classes. I know. Right? I do. So do yeah, I. Yeah, so yeah. do I. I want to sit Road in his trip. class. Road trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And this is one of those things that most people don't know. We there's very few of us that know what really goes on behind the scenes of law and corporate mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is a, it opens the eyes of a lot of people saying, wait a minute, corporation is an, an actual person under the law? Well, no wonder. Yeah. So when they go in court against you, well, you got a corporation with billions of dollars billions and of lawyers and you got you. That's yeah. got to work, you know. Yeah. Kevin, yeah. where's his, where um, his film, his documentary available? Uh, his documentary, uh, it, it came out in 2004, so you're not going to find it on Netflix, but if you look up on YouTube or iTunes, you will find the documentary, which of course was with uh, director Mark Akbar, which is a fantastic man too. It was a great, great documentary, and I highly, highly, highly recommend you watch this. Uh, it actually touched me personally, but you know that's another story altogether. And the book is available widely on his website, and his website, and Amazon, and places all good like bookstores. You'll, yeah. you'll find that. So yeah. that's not going to be a problem. So should be fun. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being with us today, and great, thank you, ladies. Great interview. Just thank really you great. to Professor yeah. Joel Backen, and thank you for listening. And uh, you can follow us at leftandvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, at LETV Podcast. You can be a patron. You can go to Patreon slash LETV, and you can be like Freethinker215. Where is the rest of it? Freethinker215 and H. Simpson support Freedom from F- Religion Foundation and help us make the show better. Shout out to this guy, one of our patrons. <laughs> uh, where was I with this? Yes, you can uh, send us an email at leftandvalley.com. Uh, send your complaints. Yes, <laughs> send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor. Give us a five star review. Whatever you find us, it helps us and helps others find the show. Coming up, okay. Uh, next week we'll have Dr. Matthew Hussinger. Uh, we'll be talking about conspiracies. Oh. And on the twenty seventh, we'll have Dr. Our friend Dr. Dr. Hector Garcia talk about his new book. In um, and then uh, May we'll have uh, Dr. Del Rey. A lot of doctors coming up. A lot up. of doctors, yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, how to uh, renegotiate your relationship. We'll have uh, transgender woman Sarah Austin. She's a YouTuber. Our old friend David Fitzgerald comes back. Oh, wow. That'll be fun, too. Yeah. And Anthony Magdabasco gives us another lesson in street epistemology. Yay. In June, we'll have Dr. Ben Davis, our favorite nuclear physicist, mm-hmm. comes back to tell us the difference between physics and uh, quantum physics. <laughs> and we'll also have uh, our friend Andrew Jasko and Red Burks of the uh, the Skeptical Texans. Oh, we'll be talking about cults. Oh, great. And last but not least, we'll also have Hertzy Hertz from the Minnesota Atheist. I'll be on the show as well, and that's going to be in June. we got lots coming down the pipe. I guess I'll show up. <laughs> yeah, you better. <laughs> I'm not doing all this by myself. My God. Yeah. Christina's yeah. going to be excited for the cults. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she'll have lots to say about that. Oh, yes. So, Perfect. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.
something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. Now let me take a sec. Don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful. The thousands of children are raped by priests. Keep it on the hush, don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them Respect them, fuck that The system is broke down, working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name and let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.